0: Well, take your Bible, would you please, and let's go over to Ruth chapter 2, would you? Ruth chapter 2, as Ben earlier read the entire chapter to you, because we want to set this within a proper context. This is actually our 16th message in the book of Ruth, and we've entitled it From Hostility to Hospitality, From Hostility to Hospitality. Unexpected kindness can be profoundly life-changing. Have you ever had a time in your life where you experienced unbelievable, unexpected kindness? Where someone came along and out of nowhere was extraordinarily helpful, extraordinarily kind to you, and it just took you by total surprise. It's something that we remember oftentimes for the rest of our lives, and frequently even tell stories about. I recently read a story about a man who left $16,000 tip on his $37.93 restaurant bill in New Hampshire. $16,000 tip. At first, the restaurant owner thought it was a mistake, but found out later on that it was very intentional the male customer wanted his, to help his favorite restaurant struggling to survive through the COVID-19 lockdowns. So the money was split between the eight servers that desperately needed it and a few cooks, and it was exactly what they needed at that particular time, a $16,000 tip. One woman told another story. She said, When the supermarket clerk tallied my groceries, I was $12 over what I had on me. I began to remove items from the bag when another shopper handed a $20 bill. Please don't put yourself out, I told him. "Uh, Let me tell you a story, he said. My mother is in the hospital with cancer. I visit her every day and bring her flowers. I went this morning and she got mad at me for spending my money on more flowers She demanded that I do something else with the money. So here, please accept this. It's my mother's flowers. (laughs) Unexpected kindness. An English woman once told a similar story about her friend. She wrote, my friend was waiting to pay for her groceries when the man in front of her turned around and handed her a voucher for 10 pounds, which is about $14 of her bill. Uh, Short on sleep, she burst into tears because of his kind act, and then she started laughing at herself for crying. This unexpected kindness really touched her heart and gave her hope during a period of desperation and exhaustion in her life. She gave thanks to the Lord for his goodness, extended to her from another person. Unexpected kindness. I remember when I was a boy, I we experienced unexpected kindness. When I was a young man, my family and I lived in El Centro, California. Uh, my father pastored a church there that was a small church that was being revitalized. We had very little to live on, and my father often worked hard, uh, odd jobs in order to provide for the family. I can remember going with him to sell ice cream on a refrigerated truck out to migrant workers in the field. He just did those little jobs like that in order to make ends meet. And I clearly remember one day the only food that we had in our house was one can of chicken noodle soup, Campbell's chicken noodle soup. That's all we had and my mother split it between myself and, and my two sisters. We had no food, no money for the rest of the week. My father gathered the family together, and we prayed asking God to help and to provide. And that evening, we found a huge bag of groceries on our front porch. We never found out who did it. The unexpected kindness of that person And the provision that the Lord provided at that particular time hugely impacted our lives. Alexander the Great once said, whatever possessions we gain by our sword cannot be sure or lasting, but the love gained by kindness and moderation is certain and durable. certainly is. In the last message in the book of Ruth, we focused on Boaz and his remarkable insight into Ruth and her faith in Yahweh. He could see something in her that other people didn't see. We also talked about his remarkable invitation to Ruth to eat with his workers and with him, and he treated her extraordinarily favorably. And then his remarkable instructions to provide and protect Ruth because... um, She came to Bethlehem at a great risk as an enemy of Israel, a Moabitess. It's only appropriate at this particular time of the year that we're focusing in on that same city, Bethlehem. Needless to say, Ruth is overwhelmed with his graciousness and his unexpected kindness. She was expecting the opposite. She was expecting harsh resentful treatment. Instead, she received treatment that was normally reserved in ancient time for honored guests, for special guests. So what do you do when you are treated with unexpected kindness? How do you react to that? And even more importantly, how do you interpret it? Now, why do I ask that? Why do I ask, how do you interpret it? Well, worldly thinking has several forms of what we often refer to as counterfeit providence. Many people think it's, oh, man, I just had a spurt of good luck. Other people call it serendipity. Some call it good karma. Some people say, well, it's a favorable fate or a fluke in my life, a happy chance, a one in a million odds, the gods of fortune have smiled on me, or it's just an incredibly pleasant coincidence. I get really scared when I hear Christians use those terms. Well, as a woman who feared Yahweh, Ruth understood that everything, everything that happened to her was directed by a sovereign God, a divine hand of loving providence, and Naomi begins to see it too. This is no fluke. Yahweh's fingerprints are on everything that is happening. And in this message, we want to move from taking a look at what Boaz did to taking a look at what Ruth and Naomi's response was to what Boaz did. Ruth and Naomi's reactions to this unexpected redemptive providence that God has brought into their lives. So we've taken our message and divided it into three parts. The first part has to do with Ruth's remarkable initiative, That's verses 17 and 18. Ruth's remarkable initiative. The second part is Naomi's learning of this remarkable incident. That's verse 19. And the third part is Naomi's remarkable interpretation of this incident. Remarkable interpretation. So we move from Ruth's remarkable initiative to Naomi's remarkable learning of this incident, to Naomi's remarkable interpretation of this incident. That's verse 20. So let's look at verses 17 and 18 as we get started here. He says, the text says, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city... And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Now, the unexpected kindness of Boaz and his generosity has made a lasting impact upon Ruth. The simple fact that he would take the risk to treat a potential enemy of Israel with honor and favor is something that is remarkable. Abraham Lincoln once said, kindness is the only service that will stand the storm of life and not wash out. It will wear well and will be remembered long after the prism of politeness and the complexion of curiosity or uh, courtesy has faded away. Well, Ruth is profoundly impacted because of this tangible tenderness that Boaz has had towards her. Notice in verse 13, it says, Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me, and indeed you have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now notice, her active response to his kindness. In verse 17, we find Ruth returning to the fields to slave away. Ruth slaves. After being treated like an honored guest at lunchtime, we saw that in verse 14, she returns to the field with a full stomach to work in the hot sun. And this was not easy to do after eating more than she ever expected. The portion she was able to eat in this meal was much greater than anything she had had probably in a very long time due to her desperate situation, and due to the fact that they were coming out of a famine. And yet she is still willing to return to the dirty and laborious job of gleaning. Most of us, after eating a nice meal like that, would have found a nice shady spot and taken a nap. Not Ruth what has motivated her renewed productivity here? Well, the answer is a surprising and unexpected generosity of Boaz. Kindness, you understand, here awakens the discouraged and depressed heart. Up to this particular point, almost everything in life was going against Naomi and Ruth. Their husbands were dead. They were left destitute and discouraged And then suddenly, in a most unexpected way, God turns on the light of kindness and her dark heart is flooded with hope and light. This is often the way in which our Lord Jesus Christ works with us, right? When you're at your lowest point, the the darkest point of your life, our Lord will often show you his faithfulness. when Ruth's great-grandson, David, later feigns madness before Abimelech. He is at one of the lowest points of his life. He writes this in Psalm 34, verses 17 through 19. He says, the righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are The afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Did you hear that? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41 and verse 10 said, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about for you, uh, about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then First Peter, the apostle Peter says it like this. He says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, he says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though Now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of joy glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter understood what it meant to walk through trials. The proof of Ruth's faith is seen in her commitment to return to the very hard work of gleaning in the fields until the sun set. But even then, at that particular point, her work was not done. She then turned to the task of beating the edible seeds out of the barley. This meant taking a strong stick and beating the barley or taking sheaves of barley and thrashing them on the ground or a stone. In any case, it was a back-breaking labor, especially after spending most of the day in the hot field picking up leftover sheaves. The final step was time-consuming and intensely laborious. Threshing's purpose was to loosen the edible part of the barley grain from the straw. But even then, threshing did not remove the brand from the grain. This could happen only after grinding and sifting the grain. Verse 17 says, she beat out the epheth of barley. Do you see that? That's roughly a unit of dry measure equal to a bushel of grain bushel. Now, for much larger men than Ruth, it would have taken about an hour to thresh a a bushel of grain. Who knows how long it took her? Barley was a winter crop that sprouted in March and April. It was a staple crop in Israel because it could be grown in poor soil and be sown in unplowed ground. So it was dependable. It was disease-resistant crop, Easier and less expensive to grow than wheat. And regarding nutrition, barley surpasses wheat in a few areas. It's twice, it has twice as much fatty acids in it. It is 40%, has 40% more fiber than wheat. It contains vitamin E, wheat has none. It contains thiamine, riboflavin, and lysine than wheat. So the ancient Israelites ate barley and oats as porridge and flatbreads. It came known as the grain of the poor. And during the time of Ruth, barley bread provided between, listen to this, 50 to 70% of the ordinary person's daily calories. 50 to 70%. And what was left over was often fed to the animals. So... Ruth has worked extremely hard after the sun went down to produce a bushel for herself and Naomi. Now, that's an important piece of information that our author Samuel includes in his narratives. He wants you and I to know that Ruth is motivated to work extra hard because of the kindness of God through Boaz. So, Ruth slaves. In verse 17, but her work is not done. In verse 18, not only does he, she slave, but Ruth then in verse 18 shares. Ruth shares. Ruth carries this bushel of barley that she has worked so hard for all day long from the fields back to the town of Bethlehem, the same city where her Messiah, the fruit of her own loins, will be born. 1,105 years later. Bethlehem, a little farm town, the breadbasket of Israel was her home now. And Ruth returned was probably a journey of one or two miles or more while carrying a heavy bushel of barley. That feat of strength would have tired many a strong men. Ruth did it after a full day in the hot fields, and after threshing barley, she probably balanced a basket or a field sack, something like a burlap bag of grain on her head as she walked back into the town of Bethlehem. Now, Ruth was, understandably, not too large in stature, but she was strong and stout, and There is not a lazy bone in her body. She had remarkable initiative. If there was ever a time for her to turn around now, once she has arrived back in Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, if there was ever a time to turn on her bitter mother-in-law, this would be the time. Ruth could have said, you know what? I've worked hard all day in the hot sun. I've broken my back to get this barley, and you've done absolutely nothing to help me. This barley is for me. But she doesn't do that. She doesn't do that. Instead, she shares her bounty with Naomi. Ruth is resolute in keeping the promise of companionship that she had made to Naomi back in chapter one and verse seventeen. You remember when she said to Naomi, "Where you die, I will die, and where I will be, uh, and there I will be buried." Thus, may the Lord do to me. And worse, if anything but death parts you and me. She is swearing her loyalty to her mother-in-law, even though at that particular point in our story, Naomi was incredibly bitter. You remember that because we talked about that earlier. So Ruth's renewed hope due to her generous benefactor, Boaz, results in a productive day of work. Um, and instead of keeping it to herself, she now shares it. Um, Notice the wording of verse 18 here. It's very significant. Ruth does not divide the spoils with Naomi. That's not what she does. Instead, she eats her late dinner, and she's satisfied, and then she gives up the remainder of what is left over to Naomi. She surrenders everything everything to her. So Ruth's renewed hope now is a direct result of all the generosity, all the kindness that Boaz had showed her. It's resulted in this productive day of work, and God, in like manner, blesses her. God does the same thing in relationship to you as well. God will often bless you and help provide for you his undeserved kindness, but in response to his grace, you have to work. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. In other words, it's part of God's kindness towards you by his grace. But then he goes on and he says, but we are all work, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, that's the way in which Ruth's hard labor was her response to Boaz's graciousness. She didn't do it to earn his generosity. She did it in response to his generosity. So you can see, at this point, you can see how Ruth is, takes initiative because of Boaz's generosity. Now let's look at verse 19. There's this remarkable incident that she shares. Ruth now returned to Naomi with this huge bushel of barley, and it provoked Naomi's curiosity. So she asks in verse 19, where did you glean today And where did you work? There's probably a lot of astonishment behind that question. Why? Well, because Naomi knew when Ruth left in the morning to glean that this was going to be a very difficult and potentially dangerous adventure for her, especially as a Moabitess. She could get beat up or even killed. It was an enormous risk but they both had to take it. Otherwise, they would have starved to death. And I believe that Naomi is completely surprised by the fact that Ruth returns unharmed, in good condition, and has this huge bushel of barley. So in the first part of verse 19, Naomi seeks an explanation of this unexpected good news. And there's probably a little nervous joy in her question. Uh, This is too wonderful to believe. After all the dark and foreboding events of her recent life, this represented a little shaft of hopeful light. Finally, something good has happened. How do you know that this is her reaction? Because the very next thing she says in verse 19 is, may he who took notice of you be blessed. Before she hears any explanation from Ruth, she bursts out in a blessing of appreciation for whoever was so kind. Naomi's heart is exploding with astonished gratefulness. She cannot contain herself. And this is truly unexpected, but terribly appreciated because it was so timely. It was just exactly what they needed at that particular time. And listen, you, you've got to count on this in relationship to your own life. Our Lord's timing in your life is always perfect. It's always perfect. He does not forget his people. When he brings provision, he does it at exactly the time that's needed. So Naomi, in the first part of verse 19, she seeks an explanation of this unexpected good news. But then, latter part of verse 19, she finally sees. Naomi sees what's really going on. Ruth finally explains her day so that Naomi fully understands how she was able to return safe, bearing so much provision. And now you need to note the important fact that Naomi originally asked where Ruth had worked that day. Instead, Ruth responds by telling who she worked with that day. Naomi initially thought the location was the reason for the abundant provision, But then Naomi has a second thought, and then she says, may he who took notice of you be blessed. So Naomi's question here implies counterfeit providence, at least her original question. And Ruth must have picked a great barley field to go to. But the issue is not Ruth's great choice, but it is who God sent along completely out of Ruth and Naomi's control. Why? Because God's providence is often personal in nature. It is the person of Boaz that God sent along that ultimately really makes the significant difference now. Now, when Naomi hears the name of Boaz, boom, it's like the lights come on. Um, It must have sucked all the oxygen out of the room for her. And it exploded on her mind. I know, Boaz, we're related. And again, this is not coincidental. It is calculated by divine providence. All kinds of thoughts must have swirled in Naomi's head with this knowledge. Naomi's understanding begins to sharpen as to what God may be doing here. This is why she sees. She finally really sees that point where everything now begins to make sense. Full disclosure takes place. There's no accident. There is a plan and a purpose designed in the very events by a supernatural engineer. She knows this engineer to be Yahweh himself. And when this happens, you understand, joy replaces gloom. Light overcomes darkness. Hope dispersed despair. Sweetness swallowed her bitterness. There was a warmness that returned to her cold heart at this point. And you know what? Our God often works like that, doesn't he? Well, he will often act in unusual ways to open the eyes of your understanding. He did it with his disciples because they did not fully understand who he was. Grab your Bible for a moment. Let's go back. Put a marker in Ruth 2. Let's go back to Mark chapter 8. I want to see the, show you this as a way of illustration here. Mark chapter 8, and we're interested in verse 22. Mark chapter 8 and verse 22. And here's a story that you probably have read frequently, and... Um, and it's kind of a strange story. It's the healing of the blind man. In verse 22, it says, and they came to Bethsaida, "'and they a, brought a blind man to Jesus "'and implored him to touch him. "'Taking the blind man by the hand, "'he brought him out of the village, "'and after spitting on his eyes "'and laying his hands on him, "'he asked him, "'Do you see anything?' "'And he looked up and said, "'I see men, for I see them like trees walking around.'" Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Now, that's a strange account, isn't it? Why why does Jesus have to heal him twice? Was Jesus low on supernatural power at that particular point? And maybe he had to get recharged and he had to heal him again. Why does Jesus have to heal him twice? That presents a huge theological problem. This is a mistake. Or is it? In fact, if you look in verse 14 at the episode just before this, you see that it says, and they had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, watch out, beware the loving of the Pharisees and loving of Herod. Uh, They began to discuss with one another for the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus said to them, "Um, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you not have Do you have a hard hearted heart? Uh, Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not understand? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, and how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said to him, 12. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets? full of broken pieces. Did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Now, that's the episode just before. Now, look at the episode just afterwards. Look at verse 27. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, who do people say that I am? And they told him, saying, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others, one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, you're the Christ. You're the Christ. And he warned them to tell no one about him. Now, all three of these episodes are connected. All three are dialogues, right? In all three of them, Jesus asks questions. In the first and the last, dialogues are with the disciples. The second one is with the blind man. The middle episode refers to the village twice. The third one refers to the villages in verse 27. Jesus forbids the blind men to go back to the village in the middle episode. He forbids the disciples to go into the villages in the final episode. In the middle episode, it refers to seeing. In verse 22, he talks about the blind man. Verse 23, the blind man. Verse 23, he spit on his eyes. Um, Verse 23, do you see anything? Uh, Verse 24, he looked up. Verse 24, I see people. Verse 24, they look like trees. Verse 25, he puts his hands on the man's eyes. Verse 25, the man's eyes are opened. Verse 25, sight is restored. Verse 25, he saw everything clearly. In the first episode, Jesus asked, do you still not see? In verse 17, you see that? Do you still not see? Verse 18, do you have eyes but fail to see? In the middle episode, Seeing is used literally. The first episode, it's used figuratively, referring to understanding. And finally, in the final episode, in verse 29, Peter looks at Jesus. Who do you say that I am? And for the first time, boom, his eyes are open. You're the Christ. So, why does Jesus? Progressively heal the blind man because that blind man became a perfect illustration of the disciples' view of him. The perfect illustration until all of a sudden their eyes were opened up and they fully understood. There is that unexpected moment when, boom, now you're the Christ. You are the Christ. You know. Again, I hope that there is instant replays in heaven because I want to see this. I want to see this happening. And so they have the same thing with Naomi. Let's go back to Ruth chapter two. Naomi now, all of a sudden, now fully understands what is going on and what has happened and why they have gone through so many dark valleys, so many setbacks, so many discouragements. This brings us to verse 20 and her remarkable interpretation of these events. Now, to fully appreciate verse 20 of Ruth 2, you have to go back to chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Because in verse 20, she had come back from Moab to Bethlehem, and she says to her women friends, she said to them, "'Do not call me Naomi.'" which, by the way, meant sweetie or pleasant, call me Mara, bitter, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the mighty has afflicted me? In other words, she has accused God of being, of abusing her. She's accused God of abusing her. So, Naomi was a bitter, hard hearted woman after returning to Bethlehem from Moab. She was bitter. She changed her name. She wanted to be called Mara, which in the Hebrew means bitter. She believed that Yahweh had unjustly abused her by taking her husband and her two sons. But what she says in verse 20 of chapter 2 reveals now a softened heart as metals melted as metals are melted by heaping coals on them so the heart is softened by kindness Naomi knew that neither she nor Ruth deserved such generosity from Boaz she knew that um, it, was the it was a generous, benevolent mercy of God that was at work in her life. Later, Ruth's great-great-grandson Solomon will write, if your enemy is hungry, feed him food to eat, and if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. So Paul explains the power of God's kindness when he says in Romans 2, 4, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that kindness of God leads you to repentance? Colossians 3, 12 says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So what is the first thing that Naomi does? She swears a blessing upon Boaz. Verse 20, first part of verse 20, Naomi swears this blessing. What is the proof of her repentance and change? The fact that she swears a blessing upon Boaz, just as Ruth had sworn to Naomi in chapter 1, Now, the vow of companionship. Now Naomi swears a blessing to Boaz. In this, it is the content of what Naomi swears that is of major significance here. She blesses Boaz, but in the process, she f- fully acknowledges the fact that she sees that Yahweh, notice her words, has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. See that? In other words, in making this statement, Naomi is implying that Yahweh is showing his kindness and continuing faithfulness to the living, that is, her and Ruth, but also to their husbands that have passed away. Now, this is incredibly rare. This is one of those rare Old Testament references to the afterlife where Naomi was saying that by bringing Boaz into their lives to provide and protect them, he was blessing them and he was blessing their deceased husbands. That is... Genuinely a remarkable Old Testament insight into those who had departed this life and were Yahweh's children. This is a complete reversal of her bitter attitude towards Yahweh in verse in chapter one. Her bitterness has turned to delight. She has seen tangible evidence of his mercy and grace through the actions of Boaz. The word she uses to describe Yahweh's kindness here is his redeeming grace is that classical Old Testament word chesed. Because why? This is all beginning to make sense to her. So Naomi swears, but then in the last part of verse 20, Naomi speculates. Because Naomi's heart has been softened by Boaz and his generosity, she is now able to see and understand things that she never considered before. She bursts out with an, exclamation. The man is our relative, and he's one of our closest relatives, she says to Ruth. She now refers to the fact that Boaz is one of the closest relatives who could be their kinsman, redeemer. And for the first time in the book of Ruth, we have the usage of the word, the Hebrew word, goel. It was a unique and very special relationship this goel, this kinsman redeemer. Because it it contains an opportunity for Boaz to be their redeemer, their avenger, their deliverer, to bring them to safety by taking the official position of protector and provider. It's a special covenantal family relationship that we mentioned earlier in our series, and I'm going to expand on it more in the book of Ruth. It is an Old Testament system of welfare among family members. Now, this doesn't guarantee that that Boaz will accept the official position, but it does put him in the running. And that's the part that seemed to really excite Naomi. Naomi begins to speculate in her mind what could happen here, and the very possibility of it is exciting. This is exactly what she and Ruth needs currently. Someone to step in and help them not only survive, but thrive. Someone to carry on for their decimated family. At this point, she has no idea whether Boaz would even be interested in such a great responsibility, but she is intrigued by the possibility. Now, from the chronology of events here in the book of Ruth, this is the first time Ruth has heard the concept of Goel, kinsman redeemer. Up to this particular point, Ruth has been clueless who she was really working with, even though Boaz already had informed her that he had personal knowledge of her commitment to her mother-in-law back in verse 11, possibly something only family member would share with one another. But it's most likely that Ruth did not understand the Hebrew custom of the kinsman redeemer, the Goel and there was not known there was no known common practice like this among the moabites you can understand how radical this information is for her as no doubt naomi explains it and boaz's generosity that day was notable and greatly appreciated but a bushel of barley is going to only last for so long Could it be that Boaz is more than a short-term fix for their problems? Could he represent a long-term answer? Well, time will only tell. As a Moabite enemy of Israel, Ruth had expected hostility but received hospitality. She expected guile, but she received generosity. She expected to be killed, but she received kindness. Unexpected kindness changed her life and it changed her mother-in-law's bitterness back to sweetness. It changed Naomi and turned her from a deeply bitter to seeing the Lord's redemption in it all. Unexpected kindness motivated Ruth's heart, softened Naomi's heart. Our Lord's gracious kindness is all around you as well, and in you as a believer. When you reflect upon his grace, it changes you. Just as Ruth trusted the faithfulness of the Lord in her loss, you must trust his faithfulness during your trials. One commentator says this The source of strength lies in God's grace, not in your willpower or in our spasms of earnestness. When we attempt to strengthen ourselves through self effort, we are like the man who tried to make his stalled boat move by pushing against the mast. We exert a great deal of energy but actually get nowhere, end of quote. You must be willing to trust the providence of God in your life and rely upon his wisdom to supply for you at the right time. His unexpected kindness and grace is life-altering. If you're an unbeliever, it is that same unexpected kindness of saving grace that can awaken your unresponsive heart to your only hope. That is, Jesus Christ as your only hope and salvation. Romans 6.23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we're so grateful for this account in the book of Ruth. It is continuing to unfold much like the light that breaks over the horizon in the morning. From the darkest part of the night, all of a sudden, the light breaks forth, and we're beginning to see that the book of Ruth has been nothing but hardship and loss and trials up until now. But now we begin to see God's incredible kindness and grace. The Old Testament concept of chesed now bring light into the lives of both Ruth and Naomi. Father, may we never forget your faithfulness. May we never forget the fact that you care for your people, even through the darkest times of life. And Father, we would pray the same thing, especially during this time of the year, where even though it's a time of great celebration, where we celebrate the first advent of our Savior, the newborn King of Kings, it's still a time of the year where a lot of people... It experience a lot of depression and darkness. Father, help them to cling to the God who will never fail them, who will always be faithful. Just like Ruth has done, and then God has richly blessed her. This we pray in the name of our faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.